What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Academics and Amigos. I'm your host, Anthony Ramirez, and this week I get to interview my friend, Denise Meda Calderon. And let me just tell you all, you all are in for a treat. This is a fantastic conversation. Denise is doing some awesome, awesome research on some fantastic topics that I can't wait for you all to hear. So you know what? Let's get started. I am so lucky to have this next guest with me today. Um, her name is Denise Meda Calderon, and she does so many amazing things. One, I got to highlight that this, because this is super important. She is from L.A. She's from Los Angeles, California. Yeah. Shout out to L.A. <laughs> I, have of, I have a lot of friends from L.A. Yeah, like, uh, that's like, what's uh, up. You know, so I got, I got a lot of cool people from L.A. that I know. Um, so she's a philosophy Ph.D. student who's wrapping up her third year, going into her fourth year here at Texas A&M. She's a first-generation uh, student, that's, which is super important. So shout out to that. It's a big deal. My parents, um, right? <laughs> it's a big deal. It's a big deal. She's a community activist and a journal editor. And she is also the coordinator for the Latinx Studies Working Group on uh, at Texas A&M. So shout out to that, because I was also a part of that, too. Yeah. Um, so. You graced us with your amazing work. <laughs> Thank you so much, Denise. I appreciate that. So how are you doing, Denise? How's everything been? Uh, you know, I think I'm in the same boat of like millions, um, if not billions of other people in the world. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, it's just uh, an odd, strange and, and heavy time right now, especially. But um, I'm very grateful. I try to sit in my gratitude a lot. I'm um, healthy. Mm -hmm. I'm safe. You know, I try to acknowledge that I'm in a home with food. And yes. um, so, right, like shelter. And I have like the bare necessities as well as like I'm well nourished. You know, I have a great family, um, a great partner. Shout out to my like super supportive, amazing partner, Nick. Nick is amazing. Nick's uh, down, dude. <laughs> I love Nick. I got nothing but yeah, love for Nick. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my soul is nourished. That's so, awesome. I so love I'm that. great. I love How are that. you? How are you doing? Um, you know, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I like to take that perspective too. You know, I'm very lucky. I'm very blessed to ha be in the opportunity, uh, in the position that I'm in and the opportunities that I'm given, including having this conversation with you and uh, with many others. And so I'm, I'm busy, uh, you know, as, as, uh, as PhD students and people in, in this field are. <laughs> Um, but I'm very lucky to also be well-nourished, to be alive, to be healthy. And I'm very grateful for that. You know, and I'm grateful to have the people in my life um, because that I put that into perspective too. You know, uh, I think with the stuff going on right now, that's a lot of stuff that I've been putting into perspective and thinking about. It's like, I'm very grateful for the people in my life because, um, you know, with all this stuff going on, you never know. And it's yeah. scary, you know uh it's 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 an invisible threat that it's just you know it's 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 scary it's a scary thing and one can get anxiety but i like to think of like hope and i like to think of the positives of the situation because if i go do too dark down that rabbit hole oh my gosh i don't know what's up you yeah, know pulling you out right <laughs> exactly yeah. so it's like nah none of that right now so uh pero gracias a dios que everything's Eso good sí. you know you know Eso so i'm very sí. happy about that um, so let's talk about your research. Um, I know that you do some work with Dia de los Muertos and you've done some work with Gloria and Sandua. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that and, uh, what else, you, uh, type, what other type of research that you do? Yeah. So, um, my focus in philosophy is Latin American philosophy regional, right? Like, like of the Latin American continental, bicontinental spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, so North and South, right? And then also 
Latina, Latinx, Latino philosophies, so um, US context-based, and Latina, Latinx feminisms. So really <laughs> like pulling from those, those traditions and trying to contribute something to this world, especially like if we could think of times like right now where uh, what can a philosopher offer? <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, those are the areas that I really like immerse myself in and they really ground me because I think I find a lot of um, resources to think with, especially if I just like look to my life, look to my community, look to the people I'm engaged with constantly. and. And I'm like, dude, this philosopher wrote about that. Like you all are, I was almost going to say a, a very colorful word. Um, you all are, are knowers. Like you all have all these insights that I'm reading about. Like, thank you. Right. So there's just a lot of complimentation that I received from that, those traditions. Um, and Gloria Saldua, like we all know, I'm going to, you know, show out some of our books. We all know this. She's, I'm she's a legend. Yeah, we all know um, Borderlands, La Frontera. Shout out, of course, to like that amazing foundational texts like across disciplines this is another text it's oh you all can't see it it's um it's called light in the dark loose and oscuro rewriting in identity spirituality and reality um that has been something i've like dove in deeper into the past like year or so and it's, it's funny i don't think i've ever connected with Antaldua as much as i have um it you know it ever in the past you know i've connected with her during this time of this like pandemic um so we talked a little bit about like just struggling you know with this with the changes in life we as right. academics the changes mostly consist of do your work at home now mm-hmm. yeah that's exactly what it is <laughs> so like you see this meme that went around of like academics before quarantine like isolated <laughs> yeah. and then academics after it's quarantine so and it's like the same thing yeah. um I struggled with that. I'm more like, dude, I, I, where's my gente? Like I miss the library. I miss just the everydayness of like walking to places, the Mm -hmm. trees, all of that. Um, and so I had a lot of anxiety writing my final papers. I, I doubted myself a lot. Mm -hmm. I questioned my ability to produce anything, to recognize myself as a knower. Um, and so it was a very anxious building (laughs) like project. And and she talks a lot in this text. She talks throughout her writings, but there's a lot of it in this text, especially, especially uh, where she talks about the anxieties of writing and how that's a transformative process. And so we, we build deep into this anxious driven process of reconstruction constantly um, that I underwent. Like I started with dude, I'm, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not made for this. I, I'm not made to be a professional philosopher. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I have to produce a 20 page philosophy paper on British aesthetics. What am I going to do with that? Like oh, yeah. eight, 18th century British aesthetics. So we're talking about 1700s. Yeah. Um, you know what? Let me t- turn to what I know. Right. So I turned to Antaldua. I turned to uh, Maria Lugones another Ooh. philosopher who yeah. I'm down with. Here's like, I'm just like pulling out books. There. No, Maria no, Lugones. Awesome. It's called Pilgrimages, Peregrinajes, Theorizing Coalition Against Multiple Oppressions. Ooh. She's like amazing, heavily influenced by Ansaldua, but she does some really unique original work. Um, and so I, I like produced this, what like I was affirmed to also sit with, like this badass work mm-hmm. where I'm like talking about 18th century British aesthetics and like, Chicana aesthetics. That's awesome. And I made some, some like 
connections. And then I looked at Judy Baca, who's a, a muralist. Okay. So she's the Chicana muralist. She's still like doing work. Um, she's done a lot of digital work too. So oh, she's worked cool. a lot in the community. She's done just amazing projects. And she's contributed to some beautiful murals um, in Los Angeles and throughout the world. Mm. So um, Gloria Anzaldua like pushed me, <laughs> pushed me through these past few weeks of the semester. And um, so, yeah, like she has a chapter on there on border arte. Mm -hmm. She talks about um, border artists in Nepantla. So she pulls Nepantla from um, the Aztec or like Nahuatl tradition and Nepantla meaning this um, balancing of like two worlds or not two worlds, but like in-betweenness and yes. a middleness, right? Yes. So the way to use it sometimes and the way that Antaldua talks about it is like this balancing between worlds. Mm -hmm. So she talks about um, Nepantla as this like bordered way of living and something that other philosophers kind of work with too and, and other scholars. But um, border arte is a type of art that like is, is working from this place in Nepantla that produces this creativity and this transformative like contextualized art. So it's grounded in the history. It's grounded in this social context. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so, yeah, so she does a lot of beautiful work in this, in this text that spoke to me that carried me. <laughs> uh, and then there's another text that I have. I'm just like showing off my, my, my literature here. That's cool. Um, it's called Making Face, Making Soul, Haciendo cool. Caras. Mm -hmm. And again, she pulls from like Mesoamerican, like indigenous traditions of this concept of like making face. Mm -hmm. um, and this week, especially, I've been trying to sit in um, intentionality. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying to start my day with like set forth an intention for yourself. And uh, one that. of my intentions of this week has been soul making. Mm -hmm. Like, so I think my, my, my intention was I want to strengthen my mind and nourish my soul. I love that. And um, I had moments where I was like, you know, kind of drifting away from that. And so then I'd like smile and I'm like, soul making, do some soul making here. And so then it bring me back into whatever it is I'm kind of putting in. So Sansalua has been like pivotal in um, in helping me navigate a lot of these spaces. I think a lot of times we think of the like social political resistance components of her. Mm -hmm. We think of identity. We think of ways that like, and she has like her work is significant for gender theory, for mm -hmm. queer theory, feminist works, Latino, Latinx, mm -hmm. um, Latina, Chicana, Chicana you name it right like so interdisciplinary it's, it's depth like her work is depth mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like that's if i had to describe her work work oh like her work in one word it'd be depth because it is so deep in so and intersectional in so many ways that it's like like you mentioned it can be used in so many different avenues it really can and it's uh, it's I, I love her for that reason too yeah, yeah, definitely. She's, she sat with me very importantly. Like, um, if you read the, so Light in the Dark, Luz en Oscuro, it's edited by Ana Luis, Ana Luis Keating, uh, mm -hmm. who was entrusted by Antaldua to um, carry on her works. So a lot of Antaldua's works was actually like after she passed away. Right. Um, and so this is this is one example of that. And like the introduction, I mean, like <laughs> the introduction is is Keating kind of just breaking down like this process for Antaldua. And it's it's draining and it's like literally draining life away. But also it's 
rejuvenating. Yeah. Um, so it's a beautiful, beautiful like text. Um, and so that's where I kind of see a lot of Antaldua, not only in Borderlands, which is like a foundational piece for her, but um, a lot of her other writings. And you said, like you said, she has beautiful poetry and like she has some sketch work, right? Some drawing. Yeah, she does. She does. <laughs> I, yeah. I remember the first time that I encountered Ansaldua's work was in my first semester here at a and I took a media studies class uh, with Dr. Patrick Burkhart. And one of the chapters was an excerpt from Borderlands. And I remember it had like lyrics from Tigres del Norte yeah. and that it had poetry and then it included stuff about the border and being mestiza and all. I was just like, I need this in my life. I love this. I want more. And that was the first glimpse of Ansaldua that I had. And since then, I was like, I want to get more of her work. Like, <laughs> just like, I, I want to soak this in because I would love to write like that because mm. her writing style is completely different from like the type of scholarly work that most of us read in class you know it's so lyrical it's so narrative like it's 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 tough to describe her work because it's an amalgam of so many things that but it's beautiful yeah yeah um you know from what i've heard and and it seems to be the case um Ansaldua unfortunately wasn't valued Mm-hmm. as much as she should have been while she was alive. Right. And, and she was, like, in demand still, right? But, like, she even wrote about how in Tejas she wasn't accepted. Mm-hmm. In her hometown, they weren't talking about, like, this is where Gloria Antaldua was born. They were like, oh, her work, right, you know? Um, and she isn't taught or thought of as a canical Tejana scholar in Texas, from what I understand, right? Like, and I guess it goes by, by it varies by region. To be fair, like Texas is huge. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. I'm gonna try to do my best to not make like this big statement on Texas. Um, <laughs> but, but, but that's what I understand. And she, she moved to California in mm-hmm. um, her later, like, academic career. Mm-hmm. She was a scholar there in Santa Cruz, and I learned about Antaldua when I was in uh, my undergrad. Mm-hmm. Granted, I, I learned about her from a woman of color professor. I didn't yeah. learn about her, right? Like, she wasn't being taught everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember recently when I went down to, to um, McAllen, where I did my presentation, the one that yeah, you're referring yeah. to, mm-hmm. and I was super excited to be out there because I'm like, dude, Antaldua is all up in this biz. Like, I know she was in um, Arlington, no, Arl- Hardlington, Hardlington, Arlington. Arlington? Arlington. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but yeah, yeah. she's down that way. And in Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh? Uh-huh. yeah. So those like spaces down there in South Texas. Um, and I, I would have loved to have seen it, right? Like this is where Antaldua was born. It's, it's, it just wasn't there. <laughs> it, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, because she's like, she has this impact on people. Like the way that you're mentioning right now, they're just like, I re- like I told you that one, it excerpt of borderlands just was a life-changing experience for me you know i remember like the following day i emailed my advisor and i told her do you know who gloria Ansaldúa is she's like of course i know who gloria Ansaldúa is it's like, like where you she, been? she's like she's <laughs> one of the mera meras you know mm. that you gotta listen to or you gotta check out i'm all like okay i was like i will and then yeah. so from then she started like telling me oh check out this book check out this book i'm like okay okay so you know yeah. the power Ansaldua has this like, I don't know, 
I, I just I love her work. I yeah. love her work, and yeah, I love that passion that you have for uh, Antaldua too, Denise, and that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I will say, like, there are some imperfections, right? Of course, but that's uh-huh. going to be any scholar. <laughs> oh, and also, yeah. like, she was very reflective. There were criticisms mm-hmm. that she was facing with Borderlands with regards to like her romanticization of indigeneity mm-hmm. that she tried to address in different ways. Um, and that required dialogue, right? So what also Antaldua taught or, or like, I, I don't want to say she teaches us because a lot of people teaches, teach us this, but what we see exemplified in some of her practice is that she's engaging with other scholars to say, I'm sending you my work. What are your thoughts? Who can you recommend? Right? She's constantly in discussion. It's community work. Mm-hmm. Right. Like she really pulled from her network. Mm-hmm. And so when she got that criticism, she was like, OK, what can I do to address these concerns? Because there's something there that's important worth recognizing. And mm-hmm. still, she didn't like move away entirely from what she was trying to do. Mm-hmm. But she did pay attention to how she was supporting it or how she was presenting her scholarship or thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I think I, like from the type of mentorship that I've received, I've learned to do that, too. You know, and I think that that approach that she's taken is the only, it's like a great way to grow because if you can learn from others and soak in like the, the criticism that's in a positive manner that can help you grow, then I think that's the path forward, you know? Yeah. And uh, knowing that Ansaldua did that too is just, wow, that's, yeah. that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. And so I like to talk another, I want to talk a little bit uh, about your other research on um, Dia de Muertos or Dia de los Muertos. Yeah. So I, I love that topic and I love that subject matter. And um, I, I actually recently did a piece on that uh, this past semester too, but I want to hear more about yours and then maybe we can talk a little bit uh, and see how ours compare to one another. Yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll benefit from hearing each other's points. Um, so Dia de los Muertos, and I emphasize the Dias. Um, this is kind of like mm-hmm. something that was consistent with what I was, how I was thinking about this mm-hmm. project, but Dias also, Lara Medina and, um, and some other scholars refer to it. Uh, so Amelia Bassa, Amelia Bassa, I think she's an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they talk about it as days of the mm-hmm. dead because it's actually a process of it, right? More, mm-hmm. not just, yes, yeah, so the, yes, the two, yeah, it's a two, uno yeah. y dos, verdad? Pero mm-hmm. like the preparatory process. And also in the ways I'm trying to think about it, it's, um, it's larger than these days, mm-hmm. right? So like day, I don't know how you're, you're worse for you, but like, I don't know if you can see and I'll show you real quickly. I have an altar over there. Mm-hmm. And when days of the dead come about <laughs> in November sitting, mm-hmm. um, this altar gets transformed, mm-hmm. but that's a process. Like yeah, yeah. I need to take time and like, I'm doing it in October, like mm-hmm. really like beginning of October, I'm making the, the flowers, um, you know, the papel de picado. I'm looking for the, the ingredients that, that my parents or well, my dad, he passed away. Uh, my abuelita, all of our loved ones, like everything that they love, I'm going to go out and start looking for it. And so during this time, I also very much so notice my spirit gravitating with certain spirits so like a couple years ago I felt my grandma really mm-hmm. heavy and I mean like she was she was my mom's mom she was really big in our lives she passed away when I was in my freshman year in college so I was like 17 18 when she passed away and I didn't I felt sad and lost but like well, the way I felt her a couple years ago was really different 
it's a very like kinetic sort of dimension to it. And so I dedicated my altar to her that year and I made sure that it was all her things. And like, mm -hmm. she used to, and my mom and I were just talking about this. She used to get aluminum cans and like pin off the, the lids. <laughs> yeah, the little tabs. You know what I mean? Cause that was yeah. worth something, right? The, yeah, the deposit yeah. the aluminum. Yeah. And um, so like things that her inspired her and things that were of her and that I remember her as, as well as my dad last year, um, he was the center for me mm -hmm. because I missed him greatly. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was, and, and you know, Manny Granjali oh, yeah, yeah. And, and Nick, we had like a little gathering here and we did like my dad's, we played Domino, we played Conquian, uh, we had my dad's beer, we, or actually we had a tequila, <laughs> a beer. Uh, we had the music going, like he loves um, Licha, Licha Villa and Vicente Fernandez. Oh, classics. And, and right, like, you know, um, and we had, like, I made his favorite meat, like steak, and mm -hmm. I made um, guacamole and his pepinos, like his um, mm -hmm. atojitos, like pepinos con jicama. Mm -hmm. My dad would have been happy. And that was what made me happy. Um, so, so anyways, I go all this to say that there, the Days of the Dead, like, is days, right? Mm -hmm. I went on a long-winded description mm -hmm. there to say days. But I didn't grow up like this. I didn't mm -hmm. grow up having this infused understanding of Days of the Dead. It was when I went to college. So I went mm -hmm. to this like private liberal arts Catholic school in San Diego that mm -hmm. was mostly white upper mm -hmm. class people. And I'm most of them like second, third generation college students. Mm -hmm. I'm from El Sereno, like deep in LA right there where um, most of us are uh, first generation in the country. Mm -hmm. If not um, one, like if not um, 1.5ers or, you know, different generations or like um, immigrant or DACA, mm -hmm. right? Like, so different experiences there. Most of us didn't have family that went to college. We were going to be the first. Didn't know anything really about like scholarships or having even money to pay for books or like basically a brand new experience. Like most mm -hmm. people, you, you probably can share that too. Um, so I went to this college and, and they're like, so why do you do these things? And I'm like, what things? <laughs> they're like, well, like, why do you, like, what's the virgin of Guadalupe? And I'm like, oh, don't talk about Madrecita. Like, <laughs> right? Like, that's mama. Don't talk about her. Like, yeah. I learned very quick. Never talk about her. Um, mm -hmm. So just things that I didn't get. And so my one professor who also introduced me to Antalua um, was really involved with us doing Days of the Dead celebrations. Mm -hmm. And I was a part of this group called um, Acha. Association okay. of Chicana Activists, and we yeah, were yeah. like the sister group with Mecha. Mm -hmm. um, so we did it, and we did it community wide. And as I got like more familiar with it, and I practiced it more, I brought it back into with my family, and so we continued doing it. So here's this like first generation Mexican American doing this with my mom, who's mm -hmm. from Mexico, like Morelia, Michoacan, and she's like, "Oh, we did celebrations. We went. Ours were going to the cemetery." So that's oh, yeah, actually yeah. the traditional way of, of mm -hmm. expressing Days of the Dead. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, however, I have a different experience, right? Mm -hmm. um, I recently did a paper on Mexican celebrations of Day of the Dead. And I studied the Chicano, Chicana um, celebrations of Day of the Dead in L.A. So the 1970s. Oh, wow. The first public celebrations of Day of the Dead. In wow, the that's States. awesome. Probably in the world. But in the day, and certainly in the U.S., that's documented. Mm -hmm. And so this practice, like also you see happening in San Francisco and in San Antonio, San Antonio kind of like 
moving along in that way. And then you also see it taking hold nationally in different spaces. Mm -hmm. And so I'm learning this lineage of the celebrations and what it means to do a public celebration. Right. So we're coming into these spaces and part of it was socially, social political. You see the, the people that first started off saying, we want to unite our community. It's under attack. Mm-hmm. Our artists don't have spaces to express themselves, you know, grants and, and like um, commissions weren't going to Chicano, Chicana artists. Mm-hmm. So they were like, we need to do something for our own community. And what are we doing here? And how can we do that? Right. So you see that part of the Chicana, Chicana movement. The aesthetic, artistic dimension of the movement is powerful. It definitely is. And so the idea was, let's just do it this year. And the community was down, bro. Like, community said, so East LA, Boyle Heights community. Mm-hmm. Like, five minutes out from where I'm from. Like, literally, I used to play my basketball games out there. We used to go to get tacos right there. Like, that was, you know, as part of our extended community. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, we don't, we're not doing this for one year. We're doing this again. And again and again, oh, awesome. they're now I think at like their forty fifth. Wow! Something so it like became that. a tradition, like a legit yeah. tradition. And it became a tradition. And so what's changed, of course, and this is something that'll I think be important for maybe a, a different point in the discussion with you, is that it became um, from this smaller Boyle Heights community to be a part of Los Angeles as one of the biggest cities in the world, a Los Angeles celebration. So Angelinos, right? So that's something that like becoming part of popular culture. Um, So so I I became really interested in this death. Like Mm -hmm. we're doing something different here. We're not talking about death in this negative, tragic, narrow way. Death isn't the end of Mm -hmm. things. And so all of so all of these parts, right? Like I'm thinking, okay, death isn't the end of it. Like Days of the Dead is an example of that. Mm -hmm. We're celebrating our death we're honoring our death it's a giant festival that's what it's become it's a giant festival super colorful super bright um loud music you know Mm -hmm. in comparison to like going to like a few like i even put that in that paper i wrote too it's like okay here's the americanized version where we're all in like dark suits or in dark dresses Mm -hmm. and we're all like mourning with soft music and you know going to the misa and everything like that you know uh to the rosario or whatever it is you know that people go to and and then yeah with day of the dead it's like people are in cemeteries or have their altars they have the music blasting they're dancing you know, it's, it's really a party. It really is a celebration and a party. And I think that that's a fascinating aspect of, of, uh, Dias de los Muertos, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, um, so all of this that you're describing, like, um, enter the, like the philosophical analysis, right? Like I was just like, there's an ethical dimension to this, Mm -hmm. right? We, and, and like connection Coco here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Coco, if you remember in the film, if they do not, the spirits do not get remembered, they mm-hmm. disappear. Yeah. So if you remember them, they stay alive. Mm-hmm. So to, to properly love one, despite their death, mm-hmm. is to remember them. Mm-hmm. Because if you remember them, they remain alive. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's something ethical, like we have an obligation to remember them. And um, we, we, we remember them, not only how we, we literally as in like people remember these people, but how they lived, mm-hmm. right? Like 
we do what they loved. I may have loved my dad, you know, smoked or like mm-hmm. drank his beer, but you know what? He liked to do that. And that's mm-hmm. what's going to go on my altar. I do remember him though in other ways. And I, and I also put out what I loved and what mm-hmm. brings me joy, but like that also reveals a very interconnected way in which we experience the world. So it got me thinking about like ethics, of course, the beauty, like the aesthetics, right? The way in which we're understanding the values mm-hmm. of, of art and the beauty and uh, imagination and death. Mm-hmm. Um, and like social political, because the Chicano Chicanas, as well as like also in some Mexican analyses, like you have some philosophers that are talking about death, like Carlos Alberto Sanchez is talking about death and like the way that we're talking about death and the way they experience death. We're also paying attention to the fact that it's socially engineered in many ways. Mm-hmm. Right? brown and black people are dying mm-hmm. and a lot of it yeah sure some of it we're killing each other of mm-hmm. course nobody's going to pretend like we're this pure people like but also obesity diabetes alcoholism like these are things that also were introduced right part of the colonial experience definitely um you know the ways in which violence is inflicted upon so so a lot of like really complex discussions on it but like Mm -hmm. the social political resistance that we also see in the chicano chicana choice to celebrate days of the dead because like one year they decided they were going to recognize the violence that was being committed against the indigenous peoples in like chiapas Mm -hmm. right so like they're saying we're in solidarity we recognize the state is committing violence against you and we're going to recognize that this socially engineered violence has to be like emphasized and brought attention to and remembered Mm-hmm. right so like there's social political there's ethical there's aesthetic and i want to talk about like also this like cosmological orientation that um the way in which we talk about being in the world we are also thinking of our people that have died that have passed away we're not thinking of them like oh they're dead yeah yeah se fueron. like they never will ever exist again um, right. they still exist right you you think of the phrase like i i I embody my ancestors or I call upon my ancestors or I am my grandma, right? Mm-hmm. Like I am her, her grandchild. Like mm-hmm. we're asserting a sense of uh, relationship with them. That's live. Yeah. And so like community gets broadened when we think about community with people that are dead. That's yeah, true. So all I, that. <laughs> like, all that. I, I thought that's fascinating. That's really interesting and deep work. I think that's awesome. I loved it. Um, one of the things that I, I, I was thinking about, like when you were talking about all this, there's, there's a lot of things that came to mind yeah. <laughs> uh, because it, it's deep work. And I think that the, what you're doing is so, so interesting and so awesome. I love that. And one of the things like even in, like even like aside from the holiday, what I think so interesting about conversations like with my when I when my grandpa was alive or like even, like I would go like every holiday we would go to my grandpa's brother's house, my uncle Joe. And so shout out to my uncle Joe. He probably won't hear this, but if he ever does, shout out <laughs> to him. Um, but we would go to his house and then I remember we would sit there on a table and and they would have these conversations about like, remember as kids that we would do this or remember my brothers and remember this mm-hmm. and this. So remembrance is def- and memory is a big, I never would have like connected it together until this conversation now, but I think it really has, a sense of a cultural value to within our culture, you know, and um, I never realized that until this conversation. And I just think that that's powerful. Um, 
within the the Latinx culture and Mexican culture too. That remembrance and memory are is truly a cultural value that we have too. Because even my mom and my aunt do it too. Just we'll have conversations and like, oh, I remember when I was little. And then even now that I'm having conversations with my cousins, we'll be FaceTiming. And then, oh, you remember this as a kid or your your dad used to do this or my grandpa used to. And then so it's become a part of us. You know, it's mm -hmm. instilled with us to have this sense of remembrance, this sense yeah. of memory. And to, to think that there's now like, well, not to think it's been there for years, 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 this holiday that truly encapsulates this idea of memory and remembrance and I think that's beautiful yeah yeah I think it's I think you're right like when we talk about who we are now I I hesitate to say something like who I will be later or who I am now mm -hmm. is not who I am then um it, it in some element it's true right mm -hmm. like in some you know what I said five seconds ago is like also a different <laughs> person who I am 15 you know seconds after but also like there's not this linear movement, mm -hmm. right? There's this really interwoven dimension to it that like my experiences, who I am, you know, 10 years ago are shaping mm -hmm. how I'm being now and also propelling me towards this like futuristic dimension that's constantly being shift, that's constantly shifting between tenses. Mm -hmm. So I think you're right with that. Like who we understand ourselves. I mean, I don't understand myself as an isolated individual being. Like mm -hmm. I think back to, so like here's a really perfect example when i grew up in high school um i'm i'm a daughter of um two mexican parents and i'm a sister of to five other women so i six women in mm -hmm. our family i'm the youngest yeah. by the time i got to high school they knew my name let me tell you they were like meda meda and i'm like i don't have any other identity except by what my family is and this is not this individual identity this is an identity that's connected to everyone else mm -hmm. And that's what I've always understood. Like, I am not this isolated individual being. My, my, my foundation of what I understand myself to be is created by the fact that I am a part of other people, right? So like, if you think of, you know, it's something like this, I'm thinking, oh, it's something like this, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and like, if I could do it with all my fingers, because <laughs> I have so many sisters. <laughs> um, so that's, that's how I consider like, this this ontological component right like how do we understand our understand ourselves to be in the world mm -hmm. i understand and i'm not isolated there's so many other people like Antardua thinks of it like this mm -hmm. uh, we take on a pearl a pluralist a view of it which is like we are many selves i am yeah. part of many right i'm part yeah. of many and many are part of me and it's interesting that you're connecting Ansaldua to it and i thought of another connection to Ansaldua and day of the dead too and that's this idea of there are so many different versions of borders, you know, many people just think of the, the actual like territorial border between U.S. and Mexico or whatever borders they might right. be referring to. But there's also that border between the living and the dead, you know, yeah. and then there's even that bridge uh, that uh, even in Coco or even in the, the book of life that they reference, you know, that there's that, that, uh, the bridge, uh, that's with the candles and the, the, uh, flor de muertos. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. The, the miracles. miracles. Yeah. And so I think that that connection too, of the, there's that border between mm -hmm. living and the dead and the spiritual realm, you know, it, it, it gets like, it, it gets really, really like 
uh philosophical so i like <laughs> yeah. i it's like like the, the the fact that there's all these connections to the work that you do and it's very intersectional and it all connects together i think that that's amazing it's like yeah. it's, it's awesome you know yeah it's uh, a very rich conception of death and a rich conception of living right it really because is death is not this like you just described right so yeah you know, and, and uh, even I included that too, like in, in that paper I worked on about uh, that connection of the the borders between living and the dead. Uh, and I even included like Ansaldua's uh, definition of borders too. And uh, I just thought that that connection is just really interesting that sometimes we don't, we're not fully aware of until we're like we started like connecting. And I think that's the interesting part about research too, is that we start connecting the dots, you know, it's kind of like, uh, what, what's, what, what are like, I don't know, like those, those movies where they have the picture in the center and then they're, they're like doing uh -huh. the pins or the string yeah. and stuff. I feel that sometimes research is like that, you know, yeah. uh, it's, 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 it's fun. It's, I think that's one of the fun aspects of doing research too uh connecting the dots and all that um so speaking of like the book of uh, book of life and uh coco had like what are your thoughts personally on how the holiday has been depicted in popular culture um so the depiction itself is not necessarily what's problematic of course it's like the fact that it's functioning with this like capitalist mm -hmm. model that is meant to um even though like we have what is it, Guillermo del Torre, like on the Book of Life. And mm -hmm. I forget exactly who's on Coco, but like I know that there are a lot of Latinx people mm -hmm. working on that, that worked on that film. Right. Um, so like, yes. And also, yes, representation matters. But um, I think, I'm, I'm, I think Coco was well-received because mm -hmm. it not only was in English, it was in Spanish, but like, backside you have disney trying to freaking like trademark copyright. days of the dead yeah like yeah. copyright day of the dead like yeah. gig gusto you know what i mean mm -hmm. so i don't know if the depictions themselves are problematic i think it's funny um i think they're beautiful i think they capture the beauty the complexity the like depth to mm -hmm. your point and this like really rich um cultural practice that is, is also embedded in, like, if you don't view the world this way, you think it's just a bunch of makeup and costumes. Mm -hmm. You think it's the Mexican version of, day, of Halloween. Mm -hmm. So if you don't understand, if you're not recognizing it, or if you don't think in that regard, you misconceive it. But mm -hmm. I don't think that's a part of the de depiction. Mm -hmm. I think they depicted it pretty well. Yeah, and I think, I think that like like you brought up too is that the fact that they had like these consultants working in the film like with Coco they had I think it was Lalo Alcarez right who's like a famous political cartoonist but right. you know what was funny is in 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 one of my other conversations that I had with somebody for the podcast he he mentioned to me too that what this cartoonist did was he first criticized Disney for trying to trademark the the Dia de los Muertos and then from there they're like you know what let's bring him in to work with us so I was like wow that's smart you know and it turned out to be like a really really amazing film you know absolutely like uh so culturally rich and it was it's a musically it's amazing too like I yeah. cry every time I watch that yeah movie. <laughs> and you know you know what Coco got me thinking about this more philosophically um like 
it strengthened my philosophical analysis. If I'm being honest, there was a scene, well, like the whole movie, beautiful. <laughs> so yes, but I remember um, I saw it right before Days of the Dead last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Days of the Dead, I think, was going to fall on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And what I did previous year was I went to San Antonio. So we drove down there, beautiful celebrations, also caught it at a Laker game. Also uh, <laughs> and, um, and this year it was on a Saturday, and I was like, oh, I love it. But it's one of my favorite celebrations of all, like, one of the holidays, right? People mm-hmm. say, like, my favorite holidays. That's one of my favorites. Um, but I can't go. And Nick was like, well, why don't we go? Why don't we just go for the day? And I'm like, because I have to be here. And he's like, why? I'm like, because my altar is here. Mm-hmm. This is where my family is. I need to be here to remember my dad. Mm-hmm. I need to be here to light the candles. I have an obligation to him. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's largely connected to Goko because that's a lot of what we saw, right? Like mm-hmm. um, this sense of obligation. There's also a documentary called Artbound Art that Bound. has an episode on Day of the Dead. And mm-hmm. they look at um, Oaxacan traditions, um, the, the ways in which like they understand the days of the dead, right? So like not the Chicana Chicanex version mm-hmm. or the Latinx version, mm-hmm. but the, the uh, Oaxacan indigenous celebrations, the Zapotec, they're saying we have an obligation to honor them, right? So there's this ethical dimension. And again, like that film along with Goko, like really hit home for me because I was like, I need to be here for my dad, mm. right? Like I need to be here to celebrate him. And that means that, like I told you, playing dominoes mm-hmm. and everything that like he would have, him and I used to do together and he loved to do. Um, that's what it meant. Days of the Dead wasn't about going out and celebrating in the sense of community with others, like mm-hmm. outside community for me meant with my dad and the spirits that passed. Mm-hmm. Um, so Coco helped me with that too, that figuring that out. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Um, have you seen the Book of Life? I saw pieces of it. I hadn't yeah. seen the whole thing. It's, I, I it's, it. What's funny about that film and Coco is that you're going to see start seeing like there's a lot of connections between the two films. Um, like the main characters play guitar. Um, what what are some other ones that I noticed? Um, main characters play guitar um it's very family oriented the familismo is hardcore in both of them uh music very music centered uh you know the the cities of the of the day of remembrance look the same like the their 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 version of the underworld or the spiritual world look very similar um and there's a lot of like similarities like that too i just thought you know I don't know if they did it on purpose or not, but it's, I thought that was really interesting too. Um, and then I, and then for my other project, from the project that I, I did, I analyzed those two films and a uh, comic series that came out. So it was a three issue comic series called Dia de los Muertos, right? Ironically, none of the people involved were uh, Latinx, mm. you know? And so, okay. Uh, so it was like Tom, Chad, and like. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, maybe uh, I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was similar. It's like that. It's like that. You know what I mean? So I was just like, bah. You know, it was like one of those reactions where it's like, okay, that's odd. You know, I expected at least one, but nah, there wasn't anything. So I was just like, this is interesting. But what I appreciated is that they, they, um, they respected the culture 
and they respected the holiday even though they depicted it in a variety of ways that sometimes was off tangent and off subject but there was still a sense of respect involved and so i appreciated that you know it wasn't it wasn't so deeply rooted in the cultural history and cultural representation as Coco or the Book of Life, but there was still some respect brought into it. And I, you know, I appreciated that at least. Well, what were you doing in this project? Like I saw that you, you mentioned the analysis of the three. So, so I, I focused on uh, the identity and representation, you know, so that's what I do a majority of my work on identity and representation on uh, Latinidad within a popular culture and so my artifacts for this piece were were coco uh the book of life and this uh comic series and so i read and i watched both of these films and i took a lot of notes it's, it's very note heavy and uh trying to see like what commonalities each of these these um artifacts had you know and it's it's interesting how music even in the comic book music played a role you know, whether it's a mariachi or actually singing um, or playing guitar, the music had a role to play. And I find that interesting because music is also, I guess, would be a cultural identifier for, you know, for Latinx and uh, Mexican uh, culture, because it really is. We're very, you know, we're, we're the type of people we love music, you know, and, and the one person that comes to mind right away is Juan, like uh -huh. our, our friend Juan, like. You can hear him like coming a mile up, yeah. away. You'll hear right. him a mile away. So shout out to Juan because he'll always have his music blasting and it's like his rancheras and all that stuff. And, you know, it's, it's cool because he has, you know, it, that like Juan reminds me of those movies. Like they have the music blasting and it's like a celebration. Like wherever he goes, it's like blasting and it's, it's awesome, you know. And I th that's one thing I, I found within the analysis on top of like the locations um i'm trying to think of some other ones off the top of my head um hmm. I, I put about that the border the 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 border idea of like the between the living and the dead uh there's that uh aspect as well the familismo aspect there's in all of them too there's a sense of machismo mm. involved especially like in the book of life it's very machista like mm. it's very machista heavy so, um, but that's not to say that they're all good. They're, they're, they're bad films. They're still all good films, but they're, you know, I'm, you know, just doing my scholarly duty of being critical. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's right to point out that depictions of Mexican or, or men of color, right? Mm -hmm. Men of color are depicted as like aggressive, overbearing, um, chauvinistic mm -hmm. and i mean don't get me wrong sometimes they are like mm -hmm. i know i i grew up with some of it i mean all woman household except my mm -hmm. dad <laughs> mm -hmm. um and it, it, it's very interesting how like brown and black men are depicted so heavily as like oh you are yet uniquely machista mm -hmm. as if we don't live in a society where u.s american culture has white men determining so much of our world, right? So like, it's really interesting how these depictions in social media and like, this is your own analysis, right? Communication is your thing. Yes. Um, but the like depictions of brown and black men as this like overly aggressive people 
that need to be like fixed mm -hmm. because they're just, they're doing the most. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of seems to really work like with an agenda, right? Mm -hmm. a, an agenda of like, they're the problem and these communities are, are breeding like cultures that are all wrong and they need mm -hmm. to, they need to like fit our model and we're the ones that are better. And it's like, I don't know. I, I live in a country where, and, and I live in a state mm -hmm. where my right to my body is still in the hands of a dominant group, which is white men. Mm -hmm. But we wouldn't call them machista, right? Like, so yeah, like, it's yeah. really interesting. Like yeah. we, we, we see these depictions of black, I'm sorry, brown men as like, overly mm -hmm. you know sexist it's like sexism seems to be a part mm -hmm. of a lot of cultures mm -hmm. yeah it's <laughs> and not it's not to excuse it right like it's not yeah, to excuse yeah, it i yeah. definitely don't i mean come on <laughs> yeah yeah sure but yeah, but sure. but certainly um i think there's there's something racial going on there too oh definitely yeah definitely and i think that that's uh a part of like uh various popular culture representations throughout history, you know. Um, I'm reading a book right now by uh, Dr. Frederick Luis Aldama and Dr. Christopher Gonzalez. It's called um, Real Latinx, or Real Latinx. Oh, that's cool, oh. the film, huh? Yeah, and then it has like, it, the cover is by uh, Jay Gonzo, right? Um, and he, he did this like really cool piece that features um, a lot of like yeah. famous, uh, like famous that's media representations. Yeah, he's he did this really cool comic too that I, I did on luchadores, um, and so anyways, but Dr. Aldama and Dr. Gonzalez is wrote this book and it's so cool because it's talking about it's it's talking about all these different um, stereotypes within media with, with like the the Spitfire, the Latin lover, the machista, <laughs> all these like like the, the ones that we hear about. You know? Oh my gosh! Yes. And so it's really interesting hearing their perspectives on stuff, you know, because I've I've uh you know I've, I'm through through my academic career here at A and M. I've been taking classes. I'm learning all these different terminologies and these stereotypes and stuff. I'm just like wow you know so you, sometimes it's like we're so like in a little bubble of our own that we're like it's only happening right now no it's been happening throughout throughout ah, I mean, history shit, that's how we got <laughs> exactly. exactly that's why like there's some spanish shit going on <laughs> with my way of knowing yeah <laughs> like you know dude i had a, i remember in my undergrad in san jose right so like mm -hmm. it's not only a texas thing california's mm -hmm. got its got its heavy parts right um i remember a, a in in a colleague well like i guess we were classmates whatever he was like your accent really comes out and i'm like what accent like what what are you talking about dude like what and he's mm -hmm. like your accent it's really heavy and i'm like what like what are you trying to say mm -hmm. are you trying to say i don't sound white enough like what is that what are you saying that i have this accent yeah like everyone has an accent if we're gonna talk about anything like you have people from boston from new york like mm -hmm. you know I'm, oh, I sound more like a person that doesn't speak English is what you're telling me. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. There's you know, always I a had, racial undertone. Yeah, like, dude, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, like, I had an English professor mm -hmm. once question me if I spoke English. Oh, wow. While we were talking in English. While my papers <laughs> were all written in English. So and she's like, oh, you, you do. And I'm like, yes, I speak yes ma'am i do speak english like it's and like these how are, are we having yeah, this conversation like, this is in california so 
it's just this representation of like you as a brown person mm -hmm. I don't know what you may consist of but you're not able to speak my language because you know the stereotype of like I have to be speaking with an accent I have to be illiterate mm -hmm. I have to be all of these things that can't possibly mm -hmm. be understood as like no I, I'm I, I know my stuff Mm -hmm. I, I speak your like I speak the language. It's not even like I speak this language, mm -hmm. and I also speak Spanish. Like, how many languages do you speak? Right? Like, yeah. like what yeah, are we doing true, here? What are we doing? I, it's funny that you bring that up. I, like, I didn't have that happen to me until I moved here mm -hmm. to the college station, and I somebody told me, "I really like your accent." I'm like, my accent. I'm like, uh, what accent? <laughs> Nothing more accent. I was like that, and then I was like, what? I was like. And I go, I, I call up like my mom and I call up some like other friends of mine and I even called my girlfriend. I was like, hey, do I have an accent? <laughs> I, was yeah. like, I was like, you it know, because it, it, it gets it a little bit in Because I never heard that before. So I was like, hey, do I have an accent? You know, it was like that. It so, stuns you, dude. It does, you know, especially yeah. if you haven't, heard, you know, because like both of us can relate to this example of like a cultural shock, you know? Yeah. Like when we like we're both from predominantly Mexican and Latino communities, and then we come here where it's like not it's the opposite, you know, and so it was a culture shock for me too, and then like you know uh it took me a while to get used to that, and then one of the cool aspects um about um our our friendship too is that we found. We, we met each other through that community that, that we, we both were trying to find here in the Hispanic Latino Graduate Association, which later become uh, the Latinx, <laughs> you know, Graduate Student Association. Yeah. So shout out to LGSA. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, so shout Cindy out to for, for hooking that up, uh, the, the, the event that, that almost happened, COVID. <laughs> yeah, I know. So shout out to Cindy, who's uh, the, the president right now. Um, and she's doing an amazing job right now. And I'm just proud of the work that she's done since, uh, since I was there working with her too, because, right. uh, she's, she's done amazing things. And, you know, I remember one of the first times that you and I met, if not the first time that we met was, it was one of the first meetings that I think I was going to conduct as LGSA president. It was my first year here. I was, I felt like a fish out of water, but I was like desperate to find community. So I said, yes, I want to be president for this, this, uh, association. And so I, I go and, and you're the first person there in the meeting, right? Besides me, it's, it's you and I who are there. And we just start talking. We're having this conversation and we bonded over Gloria and Saldua. We yeah. had this bond over Gloria and Saldua. Yeah. And since then, we've had this really strong um, friendship and relationship where we just like support each other in our projects and different things, you know. And you've done the Latinx Studies Working Group too. And, you know, a lot of people, including myself, have participated in that and been able to do some present amazing work. That, that that's with the Latinx community, whether it's in Bryan College Station or elsewhere, right. but it's really, really deep work. You know, so I'm, I'm curious, like what inspired you to want to do this Latinx studies working group? Um, so you told a story, my friend, like I'm here and I'm looking around and I'm, and it's not even just appearance, right? Like not all kinfolk are skin mm -hmm. like not all skin mm -hmm. folk are kinfolk right mm -hmm. so just because they might look like me because there were a few people in my mm -hmm. department that have spanish sounding surnames and i'm like mm -hmm. oh you think latin american philosophy is crap mm -hmm. 
got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So I, I definitely understood um, this like desire. It's mm-hmm. like burning desire for for community and and not just not only community in a social sense because I value while I value that I also know that like I'm at the dissertation you know mm-hmm. like level and I need people to help me figure out what I'm doing academically right? right I need people to spark some ideas I need to also be able to practice skills where I can exchange ideas like I need to feel like I'm able to contribute and I'm also able to um, be contributed to, mm-hmm. right? So if I can give a presentation, you can contribute to me. And if mm-hmm. you can give a presentation, I can contribute to you. I need to understand that I'm people who are doing that. And I also want to feel the space of camaraderie where we're doing this together. Um, so Latinx Studies Working Group, thankfully with, with Felipe Hinojosa, one of these like amazing professors. In shout the out to Dr. Hinojosa. Right? Like shout he's out to like, him. He's, he makes his way everywhere. That guy's... Hey, he's a blessing. He really. He and, he and he and many other professors. Like I'm just gonna drop names real quick. Sonia Hernandez in history, um, you know Nancy Videla Palenki mm-hmm. in um, sociology, Gregory Papas in philosophy. I know for me, he's he's like he's a gem. Um, but 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 yeah, with you know Hosa, um, he oh and then also Monica Nishiba. She's in education. I had to throw that out there. Shout out to all of them. <laughs> yeah, they all do work. Um, but yeah, you know Hosa was like you know, this is what I've been doing, but we've been on a hiatus. What do you want to do with it? And I was like, I got this, right? I know some folks, Anthony, boom, Juan, boom, Manny, Manny mm-hmm. presented, David presented, Manny does work in history. David does work in Hispanic studies. You do work in communications. Um, Susie, Susana, she's Susana, she does work in um, higher education, right? Juan in higher education. So, so really like there are, we're everywhere on AM mm-hmm. space. But we're not finding each other in the mm-hmm. academic space. Mm-hmm. So what can we do? And the Latinx Studies Working Group meant to cultivate a space, mm-hmm. a physical and academic space, like an intellectual space for us to really exchange ideas and to cultivate the skills we need to really thrive mm-hmm. in our professional um, fields. Because I know for me, unfortunately, I didn't feel in my particular space that I could exchange ideas with people. Mm-hmm. I was sitting on a lot of, what I think are good ideas and ideas that need fleshing out and ideas that need help. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the Latinx studies working group is like a, a fountain to help quench some of that thirst that I think all of us had mm-hmm. or have, right? Because it's, we're still at A&M. Um, and yeah, and, and, and it's a collaborative effort, right? Like I'm not the only one doing it because I have amazing you know, presenters like you all and people who show up audience members who show up looking to engage, we really produce this fruitful dialogue that matters for ourselves and also for AM. Like we're changing AM. Mm-hmm. AM, right. whether they want to resist it as much as they can, we're we're here to work and we're here to do it. And it's gonna change. Continue Definitely. to change. Yeah. Definitely. And I love that impact in the community work that you've really done for the Latinx uh, graduate group because the stuff that you did with the Latinx studies working group like was fantastic and I've heard that from so many other people who attended these meetings and who have presented at these meetings that they loved it and they love the the seeing other people's work too and seeing the support and seeing that community aspect not only in terms of social events but in academic events like this because it's needed you know we love to talk about our work and we love to get feedback from one another. And if we can help each other out in this way, that's what it's all about, you know? 
and that's it's it's fantastic to have a program like this on campus so i'm very grateful that you started something like this so, so that's that's awesome and shout out to all those amazing um professors that helped along the way too because oh, yeah. they've been such amazing mentors to us too and help us get to where we're at too you know they've they've had an impact on us in one way or another like all these awesome. instructors that you mentioned and professors that you mentioned have helped us one way or another so we're we're very lucky and we're very blessed to have um these types of mentors and very uh yeah just blessed i, I think it's the best word to yeah. describe it um a little bit earlier in this conversation you mentioned um be, uh, being a lakers fan hey yeah so to kind of transition from the academic to more of like some of the hobbies that you're into and, and you mentioned that you played basketball too so yeah. i, I want to know like what got you into basketball and what, what made you fall in love with the sport and who are some of your favorite players so um i like i said i'm, a, I'm the youngest of six i was bred into sports meaning like every sport when i was in elementary school you know softball basketball track Flag football, like everything. Yeah. I, I did it. I was on the, I was like on the blacktop always. My mom was always annoyed because she's like, ya vamanos. <laughs> um, and my sisters, they really like cultivated the, uh, they, they like pushed against some of the like um, <laughs> restrictions that were in the home. So by the time I got to me, I was able to stay out. When I got into high school, I was like, I'm narrowing it down on basketball because this is what I want to do. This mm -hmm. is my love. I understand it. I'm a point guard. Mm -hmm. So philosophy and point guard, it's all here. You know what I'm saying? It's all in the brain. It's all in the, in the head. Skill, of course, but like you have to see what people aren't seeing, mm -hmm. right? Like you have to be able to understand another level. And like, this is not to toot my own horn. This is point guard, like 101, right? Mm -hmm. Like a good point guard has to be able to see what's not there. Mm -hmm. If people are looking to the right, you got to be able to pass it in between the cracks and over to the left, mm -hmm. you know? So um i just i connected it with it i mm -hmm. i'm short also like you probably all can't see i'm five feet <laughs> i haven't grown since like my freshman year in high school so i was destined to be a point guard by build um and dude like it just it's it it taught me so much mm -hmm. it taught me hard work it taught me like, I mean, I knew for my parents hard work, but like, this is a different way of working mm -hmm. hard and like narrowing down a focus, but also like it gave me such beautiful friendships. Like my, my comadres, they're friends I've had for over, geez, like over 15 years. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had some of my comadres for like 20 to 25 years. And, and a lot of those friendships are nourished by basketball. That's so it was like a blessing upon blessings. Um, and like, strangely enough, my favorite player is Vince Carter, who has like absolutely nothing to do with the sort of <laughs> basketball skill I like always hope to develop. Uh -huh. um, Vince Carter, the phenomenal dunk dunker who like could, you know, nicknamed Air Canada, right? Mm -hmm. Like who put Canada on a map, like literally North America considers, consisted of Mexico and like the United States and then insert Vince Carter in Toronto and like Canada's on a map. Yeah. Um, so yeah, dude, he, he was my favorite player um, since seventh grade. And I've been in love with him ever since. My like email address, I'm just gonna throw out there, it's like dmeta15, right? Like Vince Oh, Carter. nice, nice. Yeah, um, and that was just always where I was. I, I really um, had a love-hate relationship with Kobe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think a lot of Laker fans did. Um, 
because you know Kobe I say this now I think most comfortably now that he's unfortunately passed mm -hmm. but Kobe had a way of bending your will to his mm -hmm. will mm -hmm. and so like whether you didn't like him at times and like you you didn't like again a point guard I didn't like that he was a ball hog or mm -hmm. like he wasn't sometimes you know focusing on how to like include other people he 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 convinced me he worked hard he made it happen he bent his he bent everyone's will to his for you mm -hmm. to see his greatness mm -hmm. and that be is because he worked hard yeah that definitely. dude didn't that dude didn't just have natural born talent like he worked hard and he gave definitely. everything he gave everything um and so like that for me is an admirable way of of mm -hmm. loving something right regardless mm -hmm. of what it is but like loving something Definitely. Mamba mentality, you know? Mamba mentality. That's, hey. that's, that's what's up. Uh, Kobe's yeah. my, like, I'm a huge Laker fan too. And, and uh, I remember, <laughs> it, and uh, I remember um, the day that Kobe, and, and the thing with Kobe is that I grew up watching the Lakers. I, I, and, and I have conversations with Juan about this all the time that I grew up, and for this reason, my favorite number, oh, two reasons, my, my favorite number is eight. I was born in August, which is the eighth month of the year, and uh, Kobe Bryant's jersey original number is number eight. And so, for me, the number eight is very significant for those two reasons. And so, Kobe Bryant for me wasn't just any basketball player; he was the basketball player. It's like everyone's talking about LeBron and Jordan. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's Kobe. <laughs> it's Kobe. It's like, like me vale. In yeah. Jordan, I could care less about LeBron, even if he's in the Lakers uniform right now. Right, yeah. Kobe is my <laughs> basketball god. He is, you know, and forever will be. He's my all-time favorite athlete. Like, I, even though like I'm a big football fanatic, like athlete-wise, Kobe Bryant is that person for me. Like, and will be till yeah. you know forever. He transcends basketball. Definitely. Exactly, and what he was doing even after the sport too yeah. was just amazing and phenomenal and. Oh, man just the day that i heard that that uh, he passed away and his daughter passed away oh my god i couldn't stop crying oh i, I hear you crying. you I know you. that was one of the you know it, it was heavy it was heavy for me yeah and, yeah uh, i i was in la I'm supposed to fly really? back here and i was just confused and crying and and to this day like when i watch the jordan when i'm watching the jordan documentary mm -hmm. uh, when he appeared and it just it brings it all back you cry all over again like that was a very stunning um very hard passing mm -hmm. very hard passing, very symbolic of it, his life like his life yeah it's it's just one of those things that you can't believe it you never think like these people that seem invincible are gonna just pass you know yeah. And so even even like family members, like going back to our original conversation about Dia de los Muertos, it's like, I remember with my grandfather, like, I never thought that, you know, like that was going to have like my grandfather was going to go and then the day it happened, it was just like, it, it's, it's like you're in a sense of disbelief, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, the like, Kobe and my grandfather are two people for me that were just like I, I, iconic wow. people, you know. Yeah. And I even in one of my classes this year, I even or in two of the classes that I taught this year, I I even had a little tribute to Kobe, and uh, I, I I told him was like for me Kobe was more than just an athlete, you know. For me, I I use his Mamba mentality through my work, and that's the way I create my work ethic, because that Mamba mentality is perseverance at its hardest and its finest, because 
to be to have that mamba mentality is that you're working your butt off to get to that goal that you need to get to whether it's the championship final or getting your dissertation, dissertation and a yeah. PhD, you yeah. know and or finishing the semester or whatever yeah. it is your goal is you know and so i told my students that whatever your goal is i want you to have that mamba mentality i want you to persevere work hard and stay humble mm. kobe wasn't humble Kobe wasn't humble. Let's be real. He wasn't. He he was arrogant, but he backed it up. Yeah. You know. But I told them work hard and be humble and have that mamba mentality, and and just and that's the what I live by. That's like the the kind of like motto and and thing I try to live by, like with my work, and it's gotten me through a lot. That mamba mentality has gotten me through a lot. You know, it's it's what pushes me each and every day. It really is because I want I want to get that like finishes it. You know, get to that yeah. point where like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'll tell you something about philosophy. I when I first entered um, the discipline, well, like I was an undergrad, philosophy made sense to me. Like I had a class, and I remember it was one of those classes in you know academia, imposter syndrome, or like first generation, mm. trying to figure mm -hmm. it all out, all of that there. And I remember specifically like exactly where I was, what the discussion was. And there was just a discussion that I remember professor was like, who knows the answer? And everybody was like, oh, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, this is the answer. And he's like, right. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Like perfect mm -hmm. sense. I, there's no way of trying to figure it out. Got it. Mm -hmm. And then I met in my final year of my, my undergraduate, a Mexican-American philosopher. Mm -hmm. And not just a Mexican-American philosopher, a Mexican-American philosopher who is pushing for Mexican philosophy in the United States. Ooh. At the time, he was one of only three Mexican-American philosophers with the PhD in philosophy. Wow. No women, only men, only three men, Mexican-American. Wow. And so I remember I was like, damn, I got I to gotta work my way there. Mm-hmm. I got to work my way there. And, you know, over the years, you, you learn more. And I've met some amazing scholars. I've met some amazing Latina, Latinx, uh, Mexican, Mexican-American women that are doing the scholarship that I'm like, that's more what I'm seeing I want to do work as and, mm -hmm. and with. Um, but, and thankfully, there are more at this point PhDs. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's <laughs> but, good. But, like, but like, to your point, to get there, it's still going to be hard work. Mm -hmm. It's still going to be hard work. Definitely. And, and like, it definitely needs that hashtag mamba mentality. Mamba yeah. mentality. Yeah. It's definitely, um, you know, it, it definitely, it's like, this is an easy process, but it's a rewarding process. Yeah, so. You know, just like, like NBA finals and playoffs and all that, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a rewarding process. Once you, you get a hold that PhD title, <laughs> you know, yeah, so. we don't, we don't hold, we don't hold a championship per se, but that's our version of that, you know? And yeah. I, and I know without a doubt, that you're going to get there. You're incredibly intelligent. And this conversation just proved that, you know, I, this was a fascinating conversation, Denise, and I really, really enjoyed it beyond compare. Like I am so grateful and thankful that you uh, joined me today with uh, in academics and amigos. And thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for engaging with me and thank you for producing this beautiful um, podcast for so many of us to highlight the work we do and to um, to just like further solidify how amazing you are because this is a lot of work and a lot of your time and energy and you're doing a great job so I appreciate, I appreciate you I appreciate that 
Again, I just want to thank Denise for being a guest on this week's Academics and Amigos. It was such a pleasure having this wonderful conversation with you. And I hope people leave with a smile and leave inspired after hearing this fantastic episode. So thank you so much, Denise. For more on Denise, uh, check out the link in the description. It gives a lot of more information on what Denise does and her work as an academic. For more on Academics and Amigos, be sure to check out our social media pages. That's also in our description. Um, so give us a like, give us a follow, tweet at us, um, like, share, all that good stuff. But most of all, thank you all for supporting Academics on Amigos and listening to these fantastic stories that we have for you each and every week. Until next time, my friends, be cool, stay awesome, and take care of yourselves.